Buffalo Sabres are being connected to a star young player in the NHL on the rumor mill. We have a preseason game to recap, and we have nine, eight, and seven in our Sabres money and power list all ahead. Exciting here on the Lockdown Sabres podcast. Locked On Sabres, your daily podcast on the Buffalo Sabres. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Sabres your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, and you could watch the show on youtube be sure to like and subscribe us especially on our youtube channel and we always appreciate you leaving a review questions are always welcome on youtube or on twitter at lockdown sabers is the podcast account i'm at sneaky joe sports and my co-host jordan hanskin who will be a more regular part of the show once the regular season begins uh at jr hanskin a lot of exciting fun stuff to get to on today's show i did not anticipate on september 28th that we'd be able to talk about a rumor the Sabres are connected to with a star young player in the NHL, but they are being connected to a star young player in the NHL. We'll talk about that. Not only the player, but the contract details, why he is potentially available in the first place, who he reminds me of, a former Sabre that he actually reminds me of stylistically, and both what it would cost to get this player and what I would do if I was Kevin Adams to get this player. Now. That'll be where we start today's show, but coming up a little bit later, you can stay tuned for some preseason observations. The Sabres uh, hosting the Columbus Blue Jackets on Tuesday night, excuse me, Wednesday night, but they hosted the uh, Philadelphia Flyers on Tuesday. Got the win, 2-1. to one. I got a couple of observations written down in my notes from watching that game back, and also 7, 8, and 9 in our Sabres money and power list. We inch closer and closer to the top of the list and who number one will be on our Sabres money and power list. So why don't we start today's show with the exciting rumor that the Sabres are involved in. And this comes from the guys at the after the whistle podcast Marty, with, excuse me, not Marty, uh, Andrew Peters and Craig Reve tweeting out on Wednesday morning, We've heard the Buffalo Sabres have inquired about Jason Robertson from Dallas. Now, listening back to their podcast, it was actually kind of funny. They both heard the same thing. We're both ready to unveil this on the show. And Craig Reve went first and said, a little birdie, his words, a little birdie told me the Sabres have kicked the can or kicked the tires on Jason Robertson. And then Andrew Peters, almost annoyed, is like, that's funny because I also heard that Jason Robertson has been discussed with the Dallas Stars. So, you know, not stunning that they'd have a similar source or guy that they know that they've heard this from. But very, very, very interesting player. And there might be a lot of casual Sabre fans out there that hear me drop the name Jason Robertson and go, who? Who's that? Jason Robertson? Uh, like it might be a name you've heard before, but not quite a household star name in the NHL. And I think most of that has to do with two things. One, he's young. He's only 
23 years old. He's only played two seasons in the NHL, one of which was a COVID-shortened year where he only played 51 games. So we're only talking 128 games in the NHL. Also, he plays in Dallas. And let's be honest, the Dallas Stars aren't on national TV a lot. They're not a very interesting team. They had a playoff run that lasted four games. No, do I have that right? Maybe they made it to Game 7. They did make it to Game 7. I think I predicted a sweep. So, a short-lived playoff run, one round, the least exciting playoff series there was, which was Dallas and Calgary. So, I think it's perfectly acceptable that you wouldn't know a lot about this player. But, let me assure you, this is a valuable, valuable player. And a valuable, valuable piece. And it's kind of mind-blowing that he would be available at all. So why is he available? But actually before, let me go into some of his bona fides for why he is deserving of me calling him valuable and maybe as valuable to warrant a Jack Eichel-level trade package in return. Robertson, second-round pick of the Stars in 2017. He Again, has played 128 games in the league, 58 goals, and 125 points. So his rookie season, 2020-2021, 51 games played, 17 goals, 28 assists, 45 points. So six points shy of a point-per-game player. Pretty darn solid for a rookie season. And he finished second in the Calder Trophy race. Second in the Calder Trophy race to, actually, who was that? That would have been Kirill Kaprizov, um, who had 99 of 100 first place votes. So Robertson, a distant second in his uh, rookie season for that. But he did also make the uh, the all-rookie team. So very good start to his career. And then last year, a step, a big step forward from 17 goals and 45 points in 51 games to 41 goals and 79 points in 74 games. So. Almost a full season, 40 goal scorer, above a point a game, one point shy of 80 points. Huge, huge stats for the Dallas Stars last year and was a massive reason why they went on a run down the stretch and wrestled the playoff spot away from the Vegas Golden Knights. But again, the question should be asked, 23 years old, he had some draft capital, and he's got crazy good production. Why is he available? Well. The Stars currently need to give him a contract because he's a restricted free agent. On September 28th, training camp has started, folks. Preseason has started. He's still available. I believe this now officially would qualify as a holdout. Actually, I don't know that it can qualify as a holdout because he doesn't have a contract. So it it is a holdout and it isn't. But he doesn't have a contract and he's not there. The owner... I think, of the Dallas Stars, is afraid to give out another contract. This owner, um, Thomas Gallardi, I believe is how you pronounce his name, he has made comments in the last year criticizing both Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn for not producing and earning their money. And he sounds like an owner that does not, like that he's got two big name players on massive contracts that are not earning the fruits of that contract. And he sounds like an owner that is afraid, intimidated to give out another massive contract. And I don't know 
what the deal, what the holdup is. There's really nothing concrete on that. It could be anything from Robertson wants $9.5 million per year and the Stars want to give him 8 They could just be that far apart on the money. Or I've speculated that it would make sense that they'd be apart on the term. Because some players now are pushing for these shorter-term deals. Mitch Marner did this. Austin Matthews did this. Instead of going for the eight-year deal and cashing in right now, go for the three-year deal, the four-year deal, hit free agency again when you're 26 years old instead of 30 years old, and you could get a third big contract out of your career instead of two. You could cash in again at 26 or 27. And when the cap goes up, the TV money goes up, your salary will go up and you don't have to wait an extra four or five years for it to go up. You could have that happen within four years. You are betting on yourself and you are giving away a little bit of risk uh, by doing that. But a lot of players are taking that bet right now in the league. The stars might want to get him on the eight-year deal, get that salary locked in. Now, cost-controlled and someday down the road, it'll be one of the one of the most affordable and uh, val- best value contracts in the league. So whatever it is, there's a sticking point. There's no contract to be signed, and the season is fast approaching. The player. How about the player himself? What kind of style is he? What is he good at? He is a great shot, great finishing ability, and especially hands in close, quick hands in close around the goaltender. If you give him any space around the goalie in front of the net, he is going to put the puck in the back of the net. If you give him an open shot from the slot, He's going to put the puck in the back of the net. If you give him speed coming up the faceoff circle and he's got an open lane to the net with the goaltender, he is going to put the puck in the back of the net. He is a great finisher, but he is not just a finisher. He is a well-rounded, complete hockey player. The charts are off the charts. The bars on, if you look at his, his war, his charts from evolving hockey, his stats at natural statric, we are talking about a dominant force on the ice. It's not just the goal scoring. He could carry the puck. He could skate. He's got great hands. He is better than this, and his ceiling to me is better than this, but he reminds me a little bit of Thomas Vanek. He's more dynamic as a skater, but that combination of hands, shooting, the one-timer, and the ability to score from around the net reminds me a little bit of Thomas Vanek, but I think the caliber of player is a step ahead a step beyond where Vanek ever was with the Sabres. Although I guess the one similarity would be they both broke into the league, were pretty good as rookies, and then scored 40 goals in their second season. So I guess by that measure, it's kind of on the same level as Thomas Vanek. Um, Difference might be scoring was higher in 06-07 than it was last year, even though scoring was up last year. Actually, I'm... Don't don't quote me on that. I, I want to fact check that first. That might be wrong. Actually, scoring might have been higher last year than 06-07. But anyways, uh, Vanek just stylistically reminds me of a little bit. What would Jason Robertson cost for the Sabres to get him from Dallas? Sal Capaccio on the Extra Point Show in WGR posed this question to me on Wednesday morning. And he said, don't think about it. Gut reaction. Gut feeling. What does it cost to get Robertson from the stars, not what would you give up? That's a different conversation. What would you be comfortable giving up is different. What will it cost to get him to get that done? And my immediate response was Dylan cousins, JJ Paterka and a first round pick. And that is going to sound really expensive to Sabre fans. And I completely empathize and understand and agree with the idea that that is too much, but 
It's an Eichel package, right? That's the Eichel package. That is a good, young NHL player that is not an elite NHL player. For the Golden Knights, that was Alex Tuck. I can't believe in a million years the Sabres will give Alex Tuck up right after they traded for him. He loves being here. Not that Cousins doesn't. So I don't think they're flipping Tuck back. Cousins. Cousins, 36 points last year. He's a valuable young player, but he is an NHL player. And I think, and I would imagine NHL teams would agree with, he lacks the elite offensive ceiling to become a superstar player in the league. He'd be a great player in the league, an all-star level player in the league, but not a superstar. So Cousins, Paterka, our, our Peyton Krebs, maybe. Um, a good prospect, a very good prospect, not a Trevor Zegras. Remember him from Anaheim? Uh, not a, you know, who else was being talked about? Matthew Boldy for the Minnesota Wild. Like a, a, a tier two level prospect. That's J.J. Paterka. And then a first round pick. Now Vegas gave the Sabres a second round pick. There was other stuff included. Um, I, I'm not throwing that in because the Sabres first round pick there's reason to believe that'd be more valuable than where the Sabres would have thought with Vegas's last year. So Cousins, Paterka, and a first. And the reason why I think this would graduate to an Eichel package is while Eichel is a centerman, and I think that inherently raises his value above a Robertson, who is a winger, by the way, I, I don't know if I've said that to this point. Robertson is a winger, a left winger, left shot, uh, left winger. Um, Eichel's a center. So inherently his value is going to be higher. In fact, the fact that Eichel was a generational prospect and then he showed up and was great right away. I, I think his value just in general, his reputation would have been a little bit higher than where Jason Robertson's was. But Robertson, unlike Eichel, doesn't have the neck problem. Didn't have, oh, he needs neck surgery. Also didn't have, eh, is there something going on behind the scenes with him? How is he in the locker room? How is he off the ice? None of that with Robertson. So to me... Those two equal each other out. Those two equal each other out. And the Sabres would have to be bidding against 30 teams. I feel like every team in the league would be calling on Jason Robertson. Almost every team in the league. Some teams wouldn't have the cap space to make that contract fit. But 20 plus teams, is that unreasonable? Because he's 23. He's already a dominant player. And if he can be had, every team in the league is at least making that call. Eichel. Did we have four teams bidding for Eichel? Maybe five? Maybe it was less than that. Maybe it was three. You only had, I count on one hand, the number of teams that were probably bidding on Jack Eichel. Vegas had very little competition. And maybe at some points they were bidding against themselves only. The Sabres are bidding against the league. Everybody. Toronto, maybe. Arizona. Anaheim teams from all across the land are going to be bidding on Jason Robertson. So if he's available, so because of that, someone's going to overpay. That's it. Someone's going to overpay. If you don't want to overpay, your Sabres fan doesn't want to see them overpay. I think that's completely understandable, but you're not getting Jason Robertson for, you know, JJ Paterka and a second round pick. It's not happening. You have to overpay. If, the Sabres want, if if Kevin Adams, Sabres GM Kevin Adams, wants Jason Robertson, he's going to have to put his Tim Murray cap on for a second. Tim Murray made this trade three times. I'm not arguing that Adams should do it three times, but Murray made this trade three times. How did he make it each and every time? He overpaid. Even for O'Reilly, the trade ends up working out, 
but it was the first pick of the second round, almost a first round pick. It was a throw in young player in Grigorenko. It was a, a top defensive prospect at the time in Nikita Zadorov. And what am I missing there? JT Confer, another good prospect. Four pieces for Ryan O'Reilly. How about Evander Kane? Was that five pieces? That was a first-round pick. That was Joel Armia, a good prospect. That was Tyler Myers being thrown into the deal. There was the second-round pick was being thrown into the deal. Brennan Lemieux, a prospect, was being thrown. Tons of stuff. They overpaid for Evander Kane. By the way, I should mention the age. Ryan O'Reilly was 24 at the time they made that trade. Evander Kane was 23 at the time that Murray made that trade. And then Robin Leonard, first-round pick, was overpaying. But he did it. 24 years old for Robin Leonard. Why? These players were young and there were tons of bidders and you had to overpay or you just weren't going to get them. And maybe that would have been good for Murray. But if you didn't overpay, you weren't going to get them. It's why Darcy Regeer never made these trades. So if Adams is serious about this, if inquire means go after him and not just "Ah, make a call, make a text, and then I'll leave it alone. If he really wants Jason Robertson, he's got to put his Murray cap on and be ready to overpay. And I don't even know that Cousins, Paterka, and a first is overpaying. Maybe it is by a little bit. But I would imagine if they make that trade, it'll be a very quick, oh, my God, what did they just give up? And then you'll forget about it. You'll be maybe a little nervous about what they gave up, but you'll be excited about the player. You'll very quickly get to, wow, look at this guy. We're ready to go. That's probably what Ottawa did, right? Ottawa traded for Alex Dabrinkit. And very quickly they got to, that trade was a better value, but very quickly they got to, we're going for it. And I think that's where Robertson would be here while also being a part of the future because his age fits. It's not a 30-year-old guy they'd be trading for, 23 years old. All right, so that's the story on Jason Robertson. We'll see if this develops into anything further. I think it'd be really cool if they did it. For the podcast, it'd be super interesting. Super interesting if they did it. I would love what it says to the fan base of we're not sitting on our hands. Ottawa's making moves to get better. Detroit's making moves to get better. And we got work to do to catch up to these other teams anyway. We're not sitting on our hands. We're going to get in this guy. 23-year-old star. We're doing it. I mean, that what it would say to the fan base and to the team, I think, would be, would be something. We will take a time out here when we come back. Some quick observations from the Sabres preseason win over the Philadelphia Flyers in the number 7, 8, and 9 in our Sabres money and powerless. Both of those are ahead here on the Locked On Sabres podcast. We're brought to you by betonline.net. It is your number one source for football betting information this season. Thursday Night Football, Cincinnati and Miami. Very curious spread. A four-point favorite is Cincinnati. And that makes you think they're the same team, even better than Miami, because home field now is only about a a one-and-a-half-point spread, or swing, excuse me. So... The books think since he's like two and a half points better. Bet online, excuse me, thinks that Cincinnati's about two and a half points better. If I'm doing the math right there. You can read all about that over at betonline.net. Why the line is that way. You can bet on it if you want, and you can check out some prop bets. First coach fired bets I was looking at today are available at Bet Online. Lots of juicy stuff to look at. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, in-depth articles, and analysis on every game you could find. Fantasy news. If you're trying to find out, hey, did Chris Godwin practice today? Go to Bet Online and they'll they got all that stuff for you. Fastest and easiest way to check on all of your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, golf, and so much more. BetOnline.net. Use it on your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. 
Joe DiBiase back here on the Locked On Sabres podcast. Sabres are 2-0 in the preseason. All right, 2-0 in the preseason. I don't really care, but all right, fine. They beat the Philadelphia Flyers by a score of 2-1 on Tuesday night, their home preseason debut, and a very NHL-heavy lineup. You had Alex Tuck. You had Jeff Skinner, Kyle Poso, Zemgis Girgitz, Craig Anderson, was in net, Rasmus Dahlin, Matias Samuelson, Owen Power. So many, It was a very NHL-heavy lineup. And what's funny about that is one of the few guys that has no chance of making the NHL team out of training camp is the guy that scored both both goals in Brandon Byro. Now, he got some help. Alex Tuck uh, was very instrumental in both of those goals being scored, but Byro scores two, played one game for the Sabres last year, and that is all. And he's a call-up guy in case of emergency, and he's not the first call-up guy. So someone you you might see at some point in Buffalo this year, but I would bet he probably doesn't see a single game with the Sabres this year. He scores both goals. Good for him. He looked very good in the game. Otherwise, it wasn't just the two goals uh, playing with Alex Tuck. A couple of things I wrote down that that I noticed in this game, the Sabres preseason win over Philadelphia. Another strong performance by Matthew Savoy. He was another one of those, not probably an NHLer, but hey, maybe another strong performance by the Sabres ninth overall pick. And he can go to to back to juniors. He can go back to the WHL. And that's always been the most likely outcome for him and still is. But that's two games in a row. He's stringing a couple. If he could string some games together here where he looks NHL ready, then I wonder if there's any chance he would get the nine game look that players out of juniors can get where you don't have to burn a year of their entry level contract. You give them a handful of games. And if you decide after two weeks, ah, they're not ready, then you send them back to juniors and you'll, we'll see you next year. And I wonder if that is a possibility with Savoy. He'll have to continue to do this through the preseason. I hope they give him a chance. I'd play him in every preseason game the rest of the way to see if he is worthy of that. And Hey, maybe they strike gold. Maybe it's possible. This happens in the league. It happens in the league where, well, we weren't expecting him to be on our NHL roster this year, but we just can't deny it. He's just that good. And I don't think he's blowing – he's not blowing the doors off of people. He's just been really solid. He's making some very highlight reel-esque plays. There's some behind-the-back passes he was making against the Flyers that really stood out. His hands are really nice. He's creating a lot of scoring chances. Um but he's been rock solid. He's been very good. He's even been good in his own end. He battles hard despite the smaller stature that he has. I've been very impressed by Matthew Savoy. Tuesday was another chance to see him, and I it was the same story uh, for me. Savoy looked really good, and if if he looks like that for the rest of the preseason, I am going to be campaigning for him to play those nine games. Not that that matters. Not that that has any impact on what they'll actually do, but I'll think it's a great idea uh, to get a look at him for two weeks, especially if he keeps looking like this. So another great performance by Matthew Savoy on the blue line. Two things. One, Rasmus Dahlin. That guy is just phenomenal. He, if this is going to be Dahlin for the whole season, look out, maybe bet him in the Norris trophy odds, but Dahlin made things look so easy. So many times, so composed with the puck. So many little things he does that other players just can't do. Backwards skating into the high slot while stick handling around Travis Konechny. Just ah, little things all along the way that were super impressive by Dalene. Um, Not that that's a surprising thing. And I thought Henry Okiharu really struggled in this game. There, It wasn't just the one goal that the Flyers scored where he's going across the ice and he kind of gets out-muscled to the wall and turns into a mini two-on-one and ends up in the back of their net because Yokiharu gets beat to the spot 
and out muscled to the spot and he gets caught behind and he leaves his defense partner on an island. And there was a lot of that happening last season with the Sabres. In fact, I saw a chart from, I hope I'm getting this right. I thought it was Sabermetrics that tweeted this out. The worst wins above replacement seasons by any, by Sabres defensemen in the last 10 years. All those Ristolainen seasons, right? Those Josh George's seasons, those Cody Franzen seasons. The worst season, single season, that a Sabre defenseman had in wins above replacement was Henry Yoki Haru last season, and it was kind of by a lot. So he really needs to bounce back in a big way this year to warrant being a top four defenseman on this team for years to come and not seeing right shot defensemen as a desperate need for this team uh, in their in their pipeline. But not a great start for him. Uh, first preseason game for him, uh, I thought he struggled and struggled a lot. So just a couple of things that I noticed in uh, the Sabres matchup against the Philadelphia Flyers. Jody Biasi here on the Lockdown Sabres podcast. All right, seven, eight, and nine in our Sabres money and power list. Let's fire up the music and let's run through the rest of our list, at least the next three uh, in our list, as we rank the most important and impactful individuals that have the most influence in the Buffalo Sabres organization. Number nine on our list, Sam Ventura, VP of Hockey Strategy and Research. I've given the Sabres a lot of credit and have strongly believed for a year and a half now that the reason I think this is going to work and the reason I have confidence in Kevin Adams is because he is surrounded by a competent and influential analytics department. And while Ventura is not the one who built the analytics department. He is, to me, the biggest brain and the brains behind the operation, I should put it. I think he's the guy for this. He's the guy for this. I wonder if he has a future as a GM in the league. Uh, Hot commodity from the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Penguins hated losing him. The Sabres loved getting him. And I think he has has Kevin Adams' ear. There are a lot of decisions that are made that we see from Kevin Adams that point to Sam Ventura has his ear. And that is good. That is a good thing. And I think it's part of the reason why the Sabres have rebuilt their pipeline and their prospect pool and even their team to the point that we're at right now as compared to a couple of years ago. Sam Ventura, number nine, VP of Hockey Strategy and Research, the ninth most influential individual in the Sabres organization. Number eight, Don Granado. Sabres head coach Don Granado. There are so many positive signs that Granado has given us through a couple of years that he's the guy for this job and that he should main, he should stay in this job for years and years and years to come and isn't someone that we should fire quickly or react to quickly. There are three things that he has just, he's earned, he's earned the benefit of the doubt from me for a long time because one, the Tage Thompson development. I mean, it is the most incredible development in Buffalo sports history outside of Josh Allen. And I don't think that's exaggerating the point at all. He was forgotten. He was an afterthought. He was, I wrote him off. Six foot seven, failed power forward, the shot, all of these physical tools. There's just nothing that is that you see that is going to put it up, bring it all together. And he couldn't put it all together. Granado has got it out of him amazingly. And he did it by doing something that I guarantee you no other coach in the NHL would do. Take that body that player and put him at a position center that he's never played since what high school not since college at least 
every coach, old school minded coach, will look at a guy like that and think you're six foot seven, 240 pounds, whatever you are, you're going to be my power forward. You're going to be digging along the walls. You're going to be camped in front of the net. And Granado said, you know what? I don't care that you're six foot seven. I don't care that you have this giant frame. That's not you. You're not that type of player. You are a skilled player. You are a shooter. You are a dangler. And I'm going to get you to open ice. I'm not going to put you along the wall and in the corners and in front of the net. I'm going to get you to the high slot. I'm going to get you in the face-off circle. I'm going to get you to where you have space. You have room to operate and be the type of player that you want to be and you're most comfortable being. And it worked. It worked. That's the most important part. Not only did he have the gumption to try it, it worked. And he deserves all the credit in the world for Tage Thompson. The second thing is Rasmus Dahlin. The most important thing that I said when the next head coach after Ralph Kruger came in and we we're trying to figure out if Granado or someone else was going to be that. The thing I said was most important was you got to get Dahlin to hit his ceiling. It has to happen. He was a generational prospect. He was the best defensive prospect since Dennis Potvin in the 70s that was being talked about. You've got to make this work. And so far, so good on Rasmus Dahlin. He looks like a dominant defenseman. He looks like a star. He was an all-star last season. Now he's got to see him do it for a full year, but the signs are positive that Don Granado is getting the most out of Rasmus Dahlin, and that was, to me, the number one thing for the next head coach after Ralph Kruger was fired. So far, so good on Don Granado. And number three, Don Granado has taken a couple of anchors, a couple of bad contract veteran guys, and he's gotten the most out of them. He has completely revitalized both Jeff Skinner and Kyle Poso, putting them in roles that is going to get the most out of them, not burying them in the depth chart and punishing them the way Ralph Kruger did where he had Jeff Skinner either on the fourth line or in the press box. That is not how you get the most out of that player. Again, it comes with an acceptance of what the player is. Don't bench Jeff Skinner because he's a one-dimensional offensive scorer. Don't You know what he is. Don't punish him on the fourth line for that. Granado just treats it as such. I know you're not going to be good in your own end. I know you're not going to be, you know, the most physical player, the hardest battler. I know what you are. You're a goal scorer. You're an offensive player. And I'm going to put you with scores. I'm going to give you ice time. I'm going to give you power play minutes. That's what Granado did. And it's no accident that Jeff Skinner went from, what, 12 goals with Ralph Kruger in two years, whatever the number was, to a 30-plus goal season last year. Granado getting the most out of Skinner is incredible. And Oposo, too. Oposo having his first 20-goal season with the Sabres under Don Granado. Um, a 45-point a campaign, which tied his career high. If you told me in year six of that contract that Oposo would be scoring 20 goals and 45 points, I would say that contract worked. It really hasn't. But Gr- Granado has gotten the most out of both of his veterans uh, up front with big contracts. Jeff Skinner and Kyle Oposo. And there are countless other examples of... Granado getting the most out of guys. Not every guy, you know, Yoki Haru, I think has regressed under Don Granado. So it's not every single guy, but there are more, there are more pluses than minuses right now with Granado. Number eight in our Sabres money and power list. Number seven in our Sabres money and power list. The seventh most influential person in the Sabres organization, according to me, is Alex Tuck. I think this guy is going to be the heartbeat the, the the soul of the Sabres, both in the locker room and on the ice, 
for years to come. I think he's a future captain. I don't think he'll be the captain right now. I think Oposo will probably get that honor before the start of the season. But I think Tuck is a future captain on this team. And most importantly to me, because, you know, I'm not really huge on that type of stuff, the intangible stuff. Although I do love that he, hey, red and black Sabres fan, right? Gen, Gen R&B. Um, it, I, I don't think I can call myself the leader of that group because I think Alex Tuck is the leader of Gen R&B for the Buffalo Sabres. He just, him being a Sabre fan and wanting to be a Buffalo Sabre, him giving the fans hope. He does that because he wants to be here so bad. He wants to make it work so bad. He does a lot, I think, for the psyche of the fan base, just him being here. But he's a really good player. He's a really good player. They nailed that trade in part because Alex Tuck was the NHL player that came back. He's on a completely affordable contract and is not going to kill them for the entirety of it. He's still young at 26 years old, many years to go in his prime. And last year, 50 games played, 38 points. That is damn solid. And if they can get that type of point pace out of him every year where he's a 50-plus point guy, then it's all it's completely worth it. So Alex Tuck, because he is the lifeblood of the Sabres right now, he is the soul of the Sabres right now, I think he is deserving of being number seven in our Sabres money and powerless. So Sam Ventura, number nine, Don Granado, number eight, and Alex Tuck, number seven. Top six is still to come in our Sabres money and powerless. The Sabres actually are recording this late on a Tuesday or or on a Wednesday are just about to play the Columbus Blue Jackets in the preseason. So I'll have some thoughts on that game uh, coming up. We'll talk some betting and uh, we'll continue to cover Sabres training camp as we get closer and closer to the regular season here on the Locked on Sabres podcast. And thanks for making the Locked on Sabres podcast your first listen every day as we wrap for today. Now we're going to make your second listen. Locked on NHL, Locked on Experts, giving you a daily 30-minute podcast on all things NHL all year long. Stay up to date on everything in the hockey world. Locked on NHL, your daily 30-minute podcast.